You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. Amen. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to uh, 1 Peter. 1 Peter, as we continue in our series, The Rock Won't Move. Uh, We've taken two messages and kind of laid some foundation as to who Christ is and what he has done. The first message really took a look at uh, the work of the Trinity um, in our salvation, the working of God. And then uh, last week we were taking a look at the living hope that we have. But then we come to this text today and it starts out with the word, therefore. And it's the old, when you see that word in scripture, you need to stop and take note and see what it's there for. It's a very much a, a pivotal word. It, it shows that uh, things are changing now. Uh, there's about to be a change for us and we need to, here's how I would say it, we need to sit up straight, we need to listen carefully, we need to act appropriately. Uh, whenever you see a therefore in the scripture, the, the writer has laid a foundation for something and now he's going, well, therefore, and this is the what are you going to do as a result? And uh, so what is it therefore? Well, you got your Bibles open now, I trust. Let's stand together as we read from God's word and to see what he has for us today. From 1 Peter 1, verses 13 through 25. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, so you also be holy in all of your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy." And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flowers of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Let's pray. Father, we are challenged in this text to some very practical and down-to-earth but radical things in our lives. And we're called to be holy people set apart to serve you, to bring glory to the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray, God, that as we hear your word today, that, Lord, you would open our ears to hear and to listen. And, God, for the closed mind, that you would open our minds, that we would understand And then, Lord, for our hearts, would you give us a heart that would passionately follow after you from what we hear and learn from your word today? Do this work as only you can. Father, your word will not return void. We cannot do anything in this place that will change a heart, but you can, and you do through your spirit. And so we ask, God, that you would do something today in my life, in our lives, that the only way we can explain it is the Lord did it. 
Do this for your fame and your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you. You can uh, take your seats and we want to again just dive right in. It's what we tend to do around harvest is uh, take the word and let's just go verse by verse through and uh, what's the Lord teaching us? What is he saying to us? And, and so he starts out with that word, therefore, and then right after he says, prepare your minds. Uh, the first point, the first thing I want us to look at today is being people of God who are on target. We need to be people of God who are on target. And in verse 13, he says, prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action. Hey, as followers of Jesus Christ, the Christian life isn't something that just spills out in front of us. Uh, We do live our lives and what comes every day, we need to work our way through it and trust the Lord for it. But he says here, prepare your mind for action. If you have an older version, it might say, uh, gird up the loins. Um, uh, we don't talk like that anymore. So in the version we have, it doesn't say it. But there's a picture of that was of um, the person who was getting ready to go into battle or getting ready to go into a race or needed to be able to move quickly. And they would kind of cinch everything up so nothing would slow them down. Uh, we might say it like this. We might say now, we might say, uh, get ready, roll up your sleeves. Roll up your sleeves. Prepare your mind. Um, last weekend was Thanksgiving. And uh, Um, it's my job. It's actually a great job because I get to the turkey before anybody else does. But it's my job to carve the turkey, which is a very loose term from the Greek, destroy the turkey, because that's basically what I do it. But, but it comes out of the oven and it needs to set a little bit. And so we got to get the, the uh, cutting board out and, and then the, the, the plates and stuff that the turkey's going to go on. And you, you got to get ready to scoop the dressing out and you got to prepare for that. That's, that's a lot of work and some nibbling. And, uh, and so I've got to have my um, apron on. And uh, there's no pictures of that, thankfully. And uh, the last thing I do before I start is I roll out my sleeves because we're going to get to work. And uh, that bird is coming off of those bones and shortly it's going to be in our tummies. But there's work that you have to do to prepare. It's no different than in our lives. You go to school, you've got to prepare. You do your homework, so you're prepared. You have exams that are coming, you have to be prepared. In the workplace, there's lots of thought that has to go in and preparation and thinking. And if you're an entrepreneur, there's the, the dreaming and the visioning, all that stuff that goes on. And we need to be people who are prepared in the world that we live in. Well, in the text, he says... Prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action. In other words, prepare your mind for how you're going to live out your life for God. Prepare your mind for how you're going to live out for the glory of Jesus Christ. We've talked as we were going through the book of Romans. The battle is for your mind. The battle is for your mind. Uh, There's no true repentance. There's no true turning. There's no consistent moving forward in our walk in Christ until we change our minds about things. Uh, So often in our Christian faith, we're like, well, I know I'm not supposed to do that. I know I'm not supposed to do that. So I'm not going to do that. And you try and go a different way. and, And you've been going through that cycle for a long, long time in your life. And it's because you've never changed your mind about that thing. Whatever that sinful thing is, whatever that thing is that causes you to stumble up over and over again, you've just never changed your mind. Well, how do you do that? Well, you change your mind when you start to see those things that you struggle with and through the eyes of Christ, when you start to see those as God sees them. Uh, And then you start to hate sin more than you love the thing. And then you have a change of mind. And that, along with the change in direction, puts you into a new place. He says... Prepare your mind. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, 
I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by changing how we think about things, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In Philippians chapter two, talking about Jesus Christ and our relationship to him, it says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Have this mind among yourselves. Have this mind among yourselves that's willing to serve. Have this mind among yourselves that's willing to not be first. Have this willing a mind among yourselves that's willing to sacrifice Let this mind be in you. Prepare your mind for action. Then he goes on in the next part of the verse. He says, and and be sober-minded. And be sober-minded. Okay, so let me tell you what that's not. Because some people think sober-minded means frumpy and grumpy. And you couldn't put a smile on your face if you try. Some of you have that sober-minded look right now, as a matter of fact, as I look out at you. Um, It doesn't mean that. It means think things through. Think about your life in the context of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us. That'll put joy on your face. That'll put a a wind in your sails to move forward because of what Christ is. But we move forward sober-minded, thinking about the ramifications about what our life is about and what God has called us to. And being sober-minded makes me think about my neighbor and my family and my coworkers. Prepare your minds for action. Think seriously. Uh, People who are drunk, Their minds are filled with something else. Don't be drunk with wine, we're in a success, but be filled with the spirit. And so when you're filled with wine, you're controlled by something else. He's saying be sober-minded. For the follower of Jesus Christ, that's to be filled with the spirit of God. So the priority of our mind is that we're prepared, that we're sober-minded. And then he says this, he says, "Set, set your hope, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope. So if your mind is going to be right, the last piece is set your hope. So what's your hope set on today? What is your hope set on today? Is it set on more things? Is it set on a bigger house? Is it set on a a better job? Is it set on a stronger relationship with somebody? Is it set on the, what is it set on? Those things aren't wrong in and of themselves. And and we need to be thinking about our job and we need to be thinking about relationships and we need to be thinking about those things, but they're not the first priority. They're not the primary thing. He says, set your mind on the grace. 
Set your mind on the grace. Set your mind on the grace, first of all, that saved you. The grace that God keeps you in every day. But in this text, primarily, set your mind on the grace that is coming at the revelation of Jesus Christ when he comes back for us, when we're going to go and be with him for eternity. Hey, church, we have to learn a little bit more every day how we get our eyes out of this world and focused on what is coming in Jesus Christ. That needs to become our priority. And so after the foundation he's laid, he says, therefore, get on target the priority of your mind. And then he goes on, he talks the priority of our our conduct. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Here's how I wrote it. Stop living like you used to. Just bring it down to what he's really saying. Stop living like you used to. If you take a look as a follower of Jesus Christ at your life, you should be able to say with great confidence, I'm not what I was. I'm not what I should be. I'm not even what I will be. But I'm sure not what I was. And you can look back and you can see changes in your life as you've grown up in Christ. You can see things that you've put off and you've put away and they're not important to you anymore. I don't live like I, I used to. A great verse that I found about that helped me in my life in 1 Corinthians 15. It can be hard because sometimes the people we want to hang out with have a strong influence on us. But here's what it says. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be deceived. Don't be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Bad company ruins good morals. I remember the first day our kids went to high school and was them was Carl and Beth going. The relationships you set on your first day of high school. Those are the people you're going to be hanging around with and breaking those relationships is going to be difficult and this is it. Bad company corrupts good morals. We don't live like we used to live. We need to be new creations. The old is gone. The new has come. The priority of your conduct, stop living like you used to and maybe stop doing some of the things that you used to do and and now you see what Christ has done and in that changing of your mind, it's like, I wanna be like Jesus and to be like Jesus, I gotta put that stuff away. It doesn't honor the Lord. It dishonors the Lord. Stop living like you used to. How about this, verse 15 and 16? Live like you should. Live like you should. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You shall be holy, for I am holy. That's a quote right out of the book of Leviticus. Um, Peter, in writing 1 Peter, Verse over verse quotes more from the Old Testament than virtually anyone else other than the book of Revelation. He spends more time going back to the Old Testament and pulling truths forward than any other book other than Revelation, maybe Hebrews, they're kind of tied. But, but he saw that importance of this and this verse, these words are, are, are right out of the Old Testament. It literally means to live separate. It means to Live separate. God calls us to come to him and share in his apartness, separate. Uh, The word means to be sanctified, to be set apart, to be 
holy. It's a picture of what happens as we grow up in Jesus Christ. And, and so the, the writer, as he's coming after that, therefore, after all that God has done for you, after all that's been accomplished for you, how can we not be people of God who want to live for his glory, who have a passion to be his children as best we can to grow up in Jesus Christ? Not what I should be yet, not what I will be yet, but certainly not what I was. A changed person. Holiness is not so much something we possess as it is something that possesses us. Holiness is not so much something that we possess as it is something that possesses us. When I consider the work of the Lord, when I consider his handiwork, when I consider his blessing in my life, his working, God, change me. Do a work in me. Give me a passion to be holy. To be like Jesus Christ a little bit more every day until he comes. See, what we want is we want that relationship with God. I'm not talking about in salvation. That comes to the work that he does. We'll see that in a minute. But just on the day-to-day, we want to, I don't think anybody in the room who claims to be a believer would say, I don't want to have fellowship with God. We would all say, yeah, no, no. I want to be good with God. I want God to be good with me on a, on a daily basis. So listen to this quote. Help me this week. We cannot expect to enjoy intimate fellowship with God who is holy unless we are holy too. Say that again. We cannot expect to enjoy intimate fellowship with God who is holy unless we are holy too. Intimate fellowship with God is the greatest good human beings can experience. But without holiness, it is impossible. Without holiness, it is impossible. And so, people, God building in you a passion to be more like Jesus Christ every day. Not defeated in our imperfections, but moving forward, a stumbling forward, getting up as we need to, confessing our sin, getting right with God. But every day, a little bit more, bit by bit, becoming more like Jesus Christ, becoming holy as he is holy. So he starts, says, stop living like you used to, live like you should. And then he gives a bit of a warning in verse 17. He says, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. And we know that exile is just as your sojourners, their, their citizenship is not on earth. Their citizenship is now in heaven. Your citizenship, although you might have a passport, I'll need mine when I get to the border today. Yeah, I got a citizenship in Canada, which is really kind of cool, but nothing compared to the citizenship that I have in heaven, right? Nothing compared. And that's the citizenship that, that we look forward to, and that's the hope that we have. But, but he gives them a warning here, and he, he paints it in a great picture. He says, and if you call on him as father who judges... As you call on him as a father, first of all, the relationship we have in Jesus Christ allows us to go to the father and call him Abba, father, to call him dad. We have that kind of a relationship. And when I was struggling as a kid, I could go and I could say, dad, dad, I'm struggling with this. I need your help. I've fallen and I'm in pain and I got hurt. Dad, and we have that relationship with our heavenly father. 
But he's also a judge who judges impartially. And I'm thankful that I had a family. I grew up in a family where mom and dad tried to be fair as best as they could, but they tried to judge impartially. And God is consistent. But Philippians 2, which we read earlier, we're all gonna stand before God one day and we're gonna give an account. And God will be the judge. And some, as we come in Jesus Christ, and he says, why, why should I let you into my heaven? What, what is your relationship all about? What, who are you to me? And I say, it's all about him, all about Jesus. It's all about what he did. I don't deserve any of it. He deserves all of it. And it's all about him. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Others are gonna come and they're gonna bend the knee too. It says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But then they're gonna be sent in separation because God is going to judge and they'll be separated for eternity. I will stand before God one day and I give an account for what we've done with the gifts he's given us and the talents he's given us. And as a church, it's so amazing. And I, I, I talked about it in the interview we did earlier. To whom much has been given, much will be expected. And what do we do with the resources we have and what God has laid out for us and... He goes on, he says, conduct yourselves with fear. Conduct yourselves with fear. Now, it's a holy fear. It's not afraid. I'm not afraid of my heavenly father. But I understand who he is. I understand he's the creator. I understand my breath that I have, the next one I take, is because he allows and I need to respond and live my life out of that. The people I have a passion for, I need to have a passion for them because I have a, a healthy, strong sense of fear that God, who is my father, also is the judge, and he's called me to be faithful before him. He's a loving father who's willing to forgive and restore, but he's a God who I am to fear. Conduct yourselves. Conduct yourselves. See, every single person in this room is an example, a model to somebody. Nobody's excluded. If you're 10 years old in this room or eight years old in this room, there are people who look up to you. It might be somebody at school. It might be a classmate. It might be a little brother or a sister or to the oldest person in the room who have people just around you who look up to you, to your neighbors and the people that you influence and conduct yourselves. In the sports world, I've heard it in the last couple of weeks, well, we're, I'm not a role model. Well, yeah, you are. Whether you want to be or not, you are a role model. And, uh, and so are we. And in Jesus Christ, we're to be a role model of what Christ has done for us and how we're seeking to live out of that. Not perfectly, but growing. The priority of your conduct is stop living like you used to. Live like you should. And then take the warning seriously. What kind of why? So why? And this comes down to our motives, right motives. Um, and verses 18 and uh, through to the end of verse uh, 21 kind of lay that out for us. Knowing, here's why. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So here's the first thing in right motives. Paid in full. Paid in full, he says, knowing that you were ransomed. You were ransomed. A ransom was held over your head, which you couldn't pay. You didn't even really know about. And Christ came and he paid that ransom. You were captured and being held captive and he paid a ransom. 
Let that wash over you of what Christ did for you, what God did for you in sending his son. He bought you back. Bought you back from what? Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways you inherited from your forefathers. You were ransomed from your thinking you could do it on your own. You were ransomed from your thinking that I've got it all together. You're ransomed from the, well, no, no, my parents' faith is my faith. My ransomed from, if I just try hard enough, I'll be all right before I got, you were ransomed from that kind of foolish thinking that was going to leave you separated from a loving, almighty God for eternity, paid in full, you were ransomed. The amazing thing is that we created this mess and yet God still buys me back. Created in Adam and Eve, but created in every one of us in our sin nature. We created this mess and God bought you back. In Jesus Christ, God bought me back, paid in full. It says that um, the stuff that we inherited, we're all sinners, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the ransom is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Uh, not, we, we were ransomed from the futile ways, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. We talked about silver or gold yeah, last week. It's, a, it's not going with us. There's not enough silver and there's not enough gold in the world to pay your ransom. And not only that, it's not going with us. We were ransomed with something that was far bigger, far more important, and that's the precious sacrifice. He says, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The Old Testament says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. No no, no amount of gold, no amount of silver, no amount of good works, no amount of deeds. None of that was ever going to uh, cover the cost for your sin. It was only going to be paid for by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He was the lamb. In the Old Testament, the picture was of, of this precious little lamb. It had to be the best one you had. It had to be the one without spot. It had to be the one that was as close to perfect as possible. Because it was a picture of what was to come in Jesus Christ. And he was the spotless lamb. He was the precious one. He was the one who was the right and only right payment for our sin. He was the one who was the propitiation for my sin. Through his blood that was shed. It was a precious sacrifice. I deserved none of it. I didn't even want any of it. And God sent his son. I didn't deserve any of it. I didn't want any of it. And Christ came for me. I didn't deserve it and I didn't want it. And Christ shed his blood so I could have eternal life. I thought I could try and reach out and make my way to God. And God made his way to me. And through the finished work of Jesus Christ, through the precious blood that was shed, I have eternal life. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. 
It's not based on works. It's not based on what you do. It's not based on what you accomplish. It's not based on how hard you try. It's all based on what Jesus did. And you believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. See, the reason that I don't fear from the verse before is because I have the hope of that right there. I'm not saved by what I did. I'm not saved by what I accomplished. I'm saved by what Jesus did for me. I'm saved by what he accomplished for me. I'm saved that he was the only right and righteous payment that could save me from my sin. Are you saved from your sin? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your savior? Have you come to the place of understanding that you're walking down a path that's taking you nowhere good and all of your hope is in your gold and silver and all the things you've done and and none of it is going with you and your sin separates you from God? Have you come to the place of understanding that Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me, through the finished work of Jesus Christ. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. He gives it as a gift. And all you have to do is receive the gift. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So my confidence is all in him. My confidence is all in his righteousness is put on me. Not my righteousness. His righteousness is put on me. My unrighteousness, my sin was placed on him. He covered that for me. Paid in full. A precious sacrifice, which leads us to verse 21, talks about our personal hope, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. My faith and my hope is in God. It's through Jesus Christ that we believe in God and are saved. Proverbs fourteen twelve says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end's Um, but its end is the way of death. A man thinks he's okay. Man thinks he can reach God. Man thinks if he just tries hard enough, if he's good enough, and I'll be okay. No, you're not. Because of sin. Well, I believe in God. Well, good for you. So does the devil. And he trembles. You believe in God, you do well, James says. So does the devil. And he trembles. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and then you'll be saved. He talks about God who raised Jesus from the dead. Uh, We talked about that before. The the resurrection is everything. It is the receipt of what God did for you so that your faith and your hope are in, in God. Just think about that. Think about that based on what you did last week. My faith and my hope are in God. True or false? Think about what you have ahead of you this week. My faith and my hope is in God. True or false? Because it is. Whether we understand it or not, it's what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us and getting our eyes lifted up to what is coming and what God has done. My faith and my hope are in him. God is awesome. My hope's not in me. Thank goodness. My hope's not in you. Thank goodness. My hope is not in things. Thank goodness, my hope is in God. My hope is in Christ alone. Right motives. 
And then a right focus, the last part of the passage, a right focus, he says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So he starts out the first part, he says, if we're in a right focus, then we have a right relationship with others. John 13, 34 and 35 says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. This is the way that all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The thing that sets believers apart from the rest of the world is the way that we love each other. And shame on us if we don't. Hey, just take a look around the room. Don't be afraid to do that right now. Look around, see all the smiling or grumpy faces that are around you. And, and then ask yourself this question, why are we in this room together? There's no reason for us to be in this room together from a human perspective. The uh, diversity that's in this room is absolutely incredible. Why are we in this room together? The social stratas that people come from are so different. Why are we in this room together? There's only one reason we're in this room together, because of the love of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. That's why we worship together. I wouldn't hang out with most of you if it wasn't for Jesus. And you certainly wouldn't hang out with me. But what Jesus Christ has done in us and what he has done for us, that's why we're together. One in Jesus Christ because of what he has accomplished. This is the way the world knows that we are disciples because we love each other. And we stumble through it together and we don't do it perfectly and there's no enduring relationships without forgiveness, but... We love each other. It's a demonstration to the world of what Christ has done for us. It's an encouragement to one another that we can build each other up and stir each other up and spur each other on to love and to to good deeds. He says, love it earnestly or fervently. Holy living is incomplete if it isn't accompanied by love. I had the privilege to uh, visit with my uh, father-in-law uh, last night in the hospital. Sue and I were there, and um, he always loves it when we read scripture while we're there. And I was reading from Second uh, John, uh, verses 4 to 6. Uh, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but one we have from the beginning, that we love one another. Love one another. And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment just as you have heard from the beginning so that you should walk in it. People of God who are growing up, who are seeking to be holy because he is holy are people who are learning to love like Jesus loved, learning to love the unloving things in each other, the hard things that are tough to love, but I'm going to love, I'm going to care, I'm going to be passionate, I'm going to serve my brother in Christ. Why? Because because Jesus loved me when I was so unlovable. I want to be like him. Just a little bit more every day. In focus, love others. And here's the last part. Love the word. Love the word. Look what it says. Not of perishable uh, seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. 
Ultimately, the living and abiding word of God is Jesus Christ. But the word of God is given to us in this book we call the Bible. Everything that God wanted us to have is here. Everything from how he created the earth, man's fall and sin, um, the promise that a savior would come, the law that came that would point towards what Christ would accomplish, the finished work of Jesus Christ coming as the spotless lamb, his death, his burial, his resurrection, the, the words we need to help us live our lives every day and ultimately the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have it. We have the word of God. It's his word. But we don't worship the book. Don't ever worship the book. If I lost this book this afternoon, the tears that would come down my face would be because I got to mark up all over again. You don't worship the book. We worship the God of the book. And we get that wrong sometimes. Sometimes like, oh, the Bible, oh, the Bible, oh, the Bible. No, no, no. Oh, the God of the Bible. That our focus would be on the one who is the center of what this is all about. That our focus would be about him. Yeah, it's on the bestsellers list, it's, but it's not just a bestseller. It's not just a book. It's not just a guide for our lives. It's God's very word for us. It's God's very truth that he laid out for us. It's the abiding word of God. He goes on, he says, all flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower fails, but the word of the Lord remains forever. That would have been a really good place for an amen. So I'm going to try that again. Here we go. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. Grass, The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Yeah, yeah it is. Forever. It's God's word. It's God's word. It's God's word that led us to repentance and salvation. It's God's word that keeps us. It's God's word that gives us the hope that we, we look forward to. Now here's a statement. You might want to write this down. I'll give it to you slowly. The word reveals God's mind and we should learn it. The word reveals God's mind and we should learn it. The word reveals God's heart and we should love it. The word reveals his heart and we should love it. And the word reveals God's will so we should live it. The word of God reveals his will so we should live it. The word of God reveals his mind, so we should learn it. The word of God reveals his heart, so we should love it. The word of God reveals his will, so we should learn it or live it. We study the Bible that we might get to know God better. It's good to know the word of God. It's good to memorize it. It's good to hide it in your heart. It, it's good to understand the stories. It's good to have all of that information in our head. But the reason for all of that is that we would know God better. Not that we would know the word better, but that we would know the God of the word better. Everything else is gonna fade away. Everything that you might be hoping in or thinking in is gonna fade away, but the word of the Lord, it remains for forever. We say at Harvest Bible Chapel, we proclaim the authority of God's word without apology. I'm not apologizing for anything that God's word says. You may not like it, but you take it up with God. Because we believe this is his word. 
was this is how he revealed himself to us. And we don't fall in love with this little book. We fall in love with the God of this book. But when we talk about him, we want to proclaim him with authority, proclaiming the authority of God's word. And we're not going to apologize for that because everything else fades away. Everything else withers. Everything else is gone. But the word of the Lord, it remains forever. And then he finishes up with this sentence. He says, and this word, this word, it's the good news that was preached to you. It's the good news. It's the hope that we have. It's our foundation of our life. Everything that we aspire to and should want and desire needs to come from God's word. It's the good news. It was the good news of the gospel. It's the good news of that salvation. It's the good news of of forgiveness. It's the good news of hope. It's the good news that was preached to you. Well, so what? So what? Let it wash over you today what Christ has done for you. Let it wash over you today what was accomplished through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Let it wash over you. You didn't want any of this. As a matter of fact, you hated it. And Christ gave it all to you. Let that wash over you. And then prepare your mind for action and prepare your conduct to live a holy life, loving each other with a love for God's word and a passion for it as we get to know the God of the book more and more every day. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. It's the verses that Peter wrote to a group of people who were on a journey, who were wrestling and struggling. And Father, you helped them through this word and you're helping us through it as well. Father, the rock Jesus Christ does not move. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is our hope. He is our helper. He is our strength. Father, would you give me a heart to a changed mind? Prepare your mind for action. Be serious about what you think. Live out our lives, Father, for the fame of Jesus Christ. Lord, each person in this room is gonna hear something different from that today. Each person knowing their own heart, their own frailty, their own weakness, But God, we come to you and you're greater than any of those things and you're ready to forgive and to restore and to move us forward. So God, we trust you with passion. We're not defeated people. We're victorious because of who Jesus is. Father, for the person in the room who's never trusted you, would this be the day in simple faith they would trust Jesus Christ the Lord. Do all of this, God, we pray for your fame in Jesus' name. Amen.